This episode of Getting In There With Goss is brought to you by our sponsors, Lily and David Fine Jewelers, located at their new spot, the Shops of Wilton, off of Route 50. Wherever you're listening to Carl Substate, New York, guys, it is worth the drive to get her what she wants. Maybe it's that engagement ring. I know from experience, I bought my engagement ring right there at Lily and David Fine Jewelers. Shout out to Alyssa and David and everyone who helped me through that process of turning her from the girlfriend to the fiance to the now wife. Mom, my kid, man. Awesome way to start your life off with getting it right with the engagement ring. Lily and David Fine Jewelers can help you get it done. Family owned and operated business decade plus serving the capital region and everybody trying to find the perfect gift for her. And I said gift because it's the anniversaries, it's the holidays, it's the birthdays. Those times they flip around on the calendar. You got to make sure that she's finding something that fits her style, her fashion and more. And even hearing some of those terms, you might be getting a little intimidated and that's okay. That's why you trust the experts that can help you find what she wants. The new spot. Off of Route 50, the shops of Wilton have been there. The selection is going to fit exactly what you need. They're going to help you as they always do. Great people that want to make sure you get it right for those big moments in your life. It's Lillian David Fine Jewelers, Facebook, Shops of Wilton, Route 50, and more. And we stopped in telling you heard about Goss' story from getting there with Goss. And our pal Jared Lozier. Look, if you're looking to save some cash in 2022, he is the guy. Northeastern Insurance. If you're a small business owner, your car, your home, the things that are so important to you in your life with tax season here, you're looking at your final bill and thinking, maybe we shouldn't have paid that much for that. When was the last time you checked on a quote? A free quote with one email, J-A-R-E-D-L at N-E-Mail.com. J-A-R-E-D-L at N-E-Mail.com. Or give him a call or text him 518-956-3753. You can pause the podcast right now and say, Free money, saving cash, 518-956-3753. That's the number for our guy, Jared Lozier. I actually just got off the phone with him before getting into this podcast. He's got great ideas coming up for the spring and the summer where you can find out the best way to save yourself some cash for this year. Looking forward to working with you across upstate New York to get some money in your pocket when it's all said and done this time next year. One more time on the number, 518-956-3753, and email J-A-R-E-D-L at N-E-Mail.com. Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance. Now, on to this week's episode of Getting There with Goss. Getting there with Goss. Getting there with Goss. Getting Another edition here of Getting There with Gaza, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes, coaches, business owners, media members, and more from upstate New York. Purple Insider Zone. You might know him from his time out in Western New York as well. Matthew Collar joins us. Matthew, younger version of you, six, seven, eight years old. Where'd you grow up? What'd you want to be as a kid? And was it that same dream job you wanted when you were 18 years old? Well, I was going to say, uh, there is a debate to be had whether I'm from upstate New York or Western New York, because I was closer to the Rochester and Buffalo area. So I guess if you go Buffalo, people will yell at you if you call it upstate. Uh, but, uh, I kind of grew up in a small town, maybe an hour outside of Rochester and Buffalo. And I mean, I think I'm guessing that a lot of your guests have a similar upbringing with sports that I did, which means, I played Madden, 
and I pretended I was the GM on Madden and all the video games where I traded the players and made the draft picks and created myself on the game. And I had football cards, which now are back. Cards were worth nothing and I got rid of them and now they're back and worth something again. So that's not great. I guess I wonder what I gave away along the way. But uh, so, I, you know, I played Little League and all that sort of stuff. And really, I mean, basically my whole uh, interests as a kid, uh, everything was surrounded by sports. I mean, I remember even as a kid at maybe eight, nine years old, asking my mom to stay up to see the New York Knicks in the NBA finals against the Houston Rockets. Uh, that would be the OJ series. If people are old enough to remember that one. And, uh, you know, as I went along in my career, I, I got to a point even just sort of in my life where I think I said to my wife, cause we were talking about things that when we were growing up and she's the same way as that, uh, I was like, yeah, I guess I should have known all along that this was going to be my career because even from the time you're a little kid, it's like coming out of a lab to uh, do sports stuff when you're obsessed with that. But I think that comes from my dad was a huge, huge sports fan. We played basketball in the backyard constantly. He was my little league coach uh, and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, when I was when I was little, I had a passion for it and it hasn't changed. I still play Madden and I tank for the number one pick and do the draft in the off season still. So uh, it's, a, it's, it's always amazing to me that I can think of myself now and what I would have been like almost 30 years ago. And what I, you know, what would have made me happy then is still making me happy now. It's kind of uh it's kind of meta dude. It is very meta. There's no doubt. And it's also pretty cool to see how these stories of your past Come back later on in your life and make those connections for your career. You said the word tanking, by the way, and I know fans of yours from WGR 550 will remember that term for sure. I want to get to that later on in this discussion for sure. But first, let's get to that senior year in high school. You've got to make that decision. What happens next for you? Is it the college route? What college are you going to go to? Take us through that decision for you of what you decide to be your next path in your life. Yeah, so I know that you uh, like to share this show with kids who are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And I guess I would say that almost no matter what age you are uh, coming out of high school, college, last year in college, I am proof that you never have to be sure about a direction because I was the farthest thing from that. I mean, when I was in high school, I had really bad grades and there were times where I couldn't play in baseball games because I didn't meet the academic standards because I was failing classes. Uh, I had very little interest in education. I'm not saying people should fail classes, by the way, but I just had very little interest in the education of the things that they were teaching. Uh, I had much more interest in at the time and still do music, sports, kind of doing my own thing. And uh, I didn't put a lot of effort or focus into school. And then when I got to community college, because I couldn't go to real boy college with my grades. It was still the same kind of thing. I went for sports management because I thought that sports management meant I was going to become the GM of a baseball team. And uh, it didn't. Most people who go to sports management classes end up selling tickets, which is a fine career, but wasn't really for me. Uh, so I did two years of community college and still did not have a clear direction. I hadn't done any sort of internships at that point. I had not even looked into four-year schools, which most people are decided by the time that they're done with community college. My grades were only at like a two five, which barely met the threshold to go from community college to any other college. Um, a lot of the basic courses I just struggled with, I, you know, things like accounting and math and, you know, whatever um, that you have to do all the one-on-one type of stuff. 
I really had a lot of trouble with that. So I took an entire year off and I worked at a grocery store and I made music and I played with you know a band and did some stuff like that and decided at one point that it, this just really wasn't going anywhere and I need to make a decision on kind of what I want to do. So then when I went to a four-year college, uh, even then, even on the first day, I thought about just quitting because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was going to these classes with all these guys who were like, I want to someday work for ESPN. And I was just like, man, I don't even know. Like, is this like, these guys seem like they've got it all figured out. And I'm just, I'm not even sure what my major is supposed to be. I decided to major in journalism because I love to read and I had been a good writer in high school. Uh, and that was it. That was the only reasons and had even nothing going on through the first couple of semesters until I took a sports writing class with a longtime columnist. Um, people in the Rochester area would know Rick Woodson and the University of Brockport. Uh, but, you know, he he really encouraged me after I did some sports writing for him. And so I started writing for the newspaper, then got an internship, did well with the internship, got going after that and kind of sort of got on a roll with it. And and I'm sure you'll ask me about the other part so I can sort of stop there. But like that's that was my time going into and going through college was almost all of it, not really knowing like where's this going to go? What am I going to do? And it was only until I think it was probably my junior year of college. And that in, it doesn't include like skipping an entire year, um, you know, or taking an entire year off. So it wasn't until maybe my junior year of college where I even got the sense that there might be something in this world that would work for me. So uh, I guess that would be my message is that, you you know, you don't have to be sure coming out of high school or be some sort of like wonderkind talker or in any sort of field to eventually have success in it. Because, um, you know, that's always, I think, a really difficult time for anybody to figure out. And, and especially those irritating kids who know they want to be a doctor when they're like, four and since start that process, they make you feel much worse about it. If you're the one who doesn't really know, but a lot of times you kind of have to try a lot of things and then have something work for you and then start to pursue that. And once that started to work for me, I really started to go after it. And, uh, you know, here we are. It's so rare to hear an upstate New York native who follows sports media as their career path to not mention Syracuse or Oswego or Ithaca is their college destination. You are the first Brockport graduate repping the alma mater here on Getting There with Goss that's joined as a guest. So shout out to your alma mater. But when we are taping this, it's April 2022, and that community college route could be far more successful for so many aspiring media members because of how COVID-19 may have affected their financial situation, their family situation. So if you're determined to still find that route, community college can no doubt be a great deciding factor in how you start your career and where it advances past that. You mentioned writing and how that's such a focus for you in your collegiate tenure there at Brockport. Did you ever find yourself personally feeling like you're really succeeding and having success at it? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I guess I would have to think like, when did I sort of figure out that I was decent at writing or at least had some skill to be able to develop? Also, you know, shout, yeah, shout out to all those people who go to community college, because it's, it's not only a great route if you don't know what you're doing, but I think it's a great route anyway, uh, just financially, if you're having financial issues, um, that's a great way to start. So you don't get yourself in Syracuse debt. Uh, but, uh, you know, all, and also shout out to a couple of other people who are in the, in the media that have come from Brockport. Um, so anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, I think it was really when I got to Brockport. Um, I remember when I had had my time off uh, for that one year working at a grocery store, I had a lot of time on my hands and I had just done a lot of reading. And so I like had decided I'm going to read some like classic novels and stuff like that. And I got excited about reading maybe for the first time ever outside of Sports Illustrated and the daily newspaper and the sports section. And I think that that was a, a help in, in deciding what I was going to pick for a major and going you know, the journalism route. And then I remember in a journalism class, and this sort of tells you the power of having someone tell you that you can do something. Um, I had, I had a teacher and, uh, you know, my first article that I tried to turn in for journalism class was kind of not good, but she said something like, you know, you've got some potential here, or like, you just need to fix this, this, and this. And she had said at one point in the class, like, that I was the most improved person throughout the semester from where we had started. And I thought like, wow, okay. I mean, I'm kind of getting like shouted out in class. Like maybe this is something that works for me. And then as I'm getting into the sports writing class, I'm having a little more confidence in what I'm doing at that point. And then it really clicked. Like the professor is asking us to go cover tennis games and stuff like that. And it was it was really like something that I could get into where, okay, I didn't know anything about Brockport golden Eagles tennis, but then all of a sudden I'm like, this girl's backhand is unreal. Like why are more people on this campus not talking about this tennis player? Who's killing it out here. You know, I just, um, and so, you know, writing about even something as simple as that, uh, and then turning it in and getting feedback. And then my professor had been a columnist. So, he started showing us his own work and he was hilarious and wrote a lot of one-liners and really funny stuff that, you know, I, I thought like that kind of fits with me, like having a sense of humor about this stuff. And so I started trying and experimenting with writing in a different voice and the newspaper gave me an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I made some people upset by making fun of Trent Edwards. Yes. There was a time where Bill's fans thought Trent Edwards was what Josh <laughs> Allen is now. And I wrote a column that's probably somewhere in the internet, uh, just completely making fun of the hype for Trent Edwards. So I guess I was justified in my first hot take ever. Uh, but you know, it, it was one of those things that like, okay, I don't know that I really have this talent. I, I think I might, but uh, when someone else sees some raw talent there and says to you, Hey, why don't you work on this? Because there might be something there. Uh, that can change somebody's entire career path and life. And I think that's something that people who teach, and I know a lot of people in the media will teach courses and stuff like that. Always keep in mind how powerful your words are, because if you tell somebody they can't do it, you, you, gotta, you better be sure, uh, because when they if they do make it, they're going to come back and dunk on your face. And I think it's always better to be encouraging and look for the things that people do well uh, and try to push them in those directions than it is to tear people down and say they're not going to make it or they're not doing it well enough um, because that was a huge benefit for me. The power of that word encouraging and the power of that word discouraging how it could potentially shape the future of media members at that level in college can have an impact for years to come no doubt. So when they eventually tell you you have to leave Brockport and you're a senior and you graduate what are you pursuing? Is it a job in writing? Is it a job in broadcasting? Are you able to land that job in the field you hope for? And take us through the process of how you're able to get that job. 
Yeah, so I started uh, an internship at a, at a Rochester uh, radio station, um, WHTK. It was a small sports radio station that had uh, the Rochester Red Wings AAA team. And what I started doing there as an intern was writing for their website, writing columns for their website. I kind of begged them to do that. Like, hey, let me get some sort of platform for this. And uh, at one point, the the host was was very kind. Uh, his name is John DeTulio. And he let me and the other intern kind of come on the air and fight with them about stuff sometimes and fight with each other sometimes. And then uh, the program director there liked what we were doing and put us on for a Saturday or two. And so I was really inspired by that. I thought like, well, you know, me and this other guy, we've sort of earned this and, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, separated ourselves from other interns that they had had by just having an opportunity to actually be on the air, which I don't think any of their previous interns had really done. And, and so we sort of, you know, made a little team of it. We started doing a little podcast way back in the day when podcasts were just starting. And uh, that that was inspiring to think like this, this radio station likes what we're doing. And so I went and sought out uh, ways that I could get more airtime after my internship was over. And another radio station across town, which then was ESPN 950. I don't know what it's called now. Uh, I go on it sometimes still with their hosts, but I forget what it, they've changed their name a little bit. But um, so a guy by the name of Gene Battaglia, who's a salesperson there, is a host on their station now. He kind of uh, encouraged me to look for sponsors and helped me look for sponsors to do a one-hour Saturday show on that station. And there were a couple of times where he may have, uh, I don't know, broken whatever rules to help me get a sponsor there and <laughs> said like, hey, wink, wink, like, why don't you call this person? They might be able to help you out. So I kind of pooled enough money together in sponsorships to do a one-hour show. And I, I forget what the price was, you know, a couple hundred dollars for the hour. You're basically buying it from them. And I was uh, able to work with Gene and get some attention a little bit from the station. And they wanted to bring me on. Uh, but they were also a sister station of WGR in Buffalo, uh, which is how you and I met. Uh, and so as I did this hockey show every Saturday... Uh, the management there in Rochester helped me get connected with the people in Buffalo and sort of convinced the Buffalo people to listen to my show. And then I had former Sabres coach Ted Nolan on there and kind of kind of grilled him a little bit and got some really interesting stuff that made a little bit of waves. Um, just, you know, not a huge broken story, but Ted Nolan hadn't done a whole lot of talking about his time in Buffalo. And so it was, if it was now, it would be pro hockey talk or something would have made a headline out of it from some of the stuff that he said. So then I talked with the program director from Buffalo and, and got hired there. And that was the first time that someone was paying me. So it was really on the radio side and on the writing side, I had started writing free for some websites. One of them was called uh, the business of baseball. So I started writing for the business of baseball.com. And that was a good experience, uh, even though I wasn't getting paid for it. And through that, uh, this magazine sort of found some of the stuff I did and they started paying me to do it. So it, it kind of takes like really this ground up approach of trying everything that you can try and doing everything you can in the business and just trying to force people to pay attention to you was my entire thing uh, coming out of college. Cliche we hear a lot is landing these jobs about who you know. I love to change that cliche, and it's a testament to your work out in Rochester. It's about who knows you, and that's what you did out in Rochester. The fact that you grinded and made those opportunities happen, it caught the attention of Buffalo. It caught the attention of the home of the Sabres, and then later on the Bills. 
WGR 550 in Buffalo. Now, unfortunately, the further out of state we get for people who might be listening outside of New York, even the further east we get into the Albany, Lake George, Saratoga areas, I don't think the understanding of the impact of an AM radio station, even into 2022, is understood by fans further east and outside of New York. Just before we dive into the WGR 550 stuff, explain a little bit about the flamethrower, the beast that still is WGR 550. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, their hosts have been there for such a long time that they are really the, I guess, the voice leaders of the community. I mean, there are very few sports talk radio stations, especially on AM. As I found out when I moved to Minnesota, which I'm sure we'll discuss, uh, AM radio across the nation is not exactly considered the voice and the final word on everything in a community. But WGR is truly that way. And their hosts... Jeremy White, Howard Simon, Chris Bulldog Parker, and, and Mike Shope. I mean, those guys just drive the sports conversation uh, like very few other stations, like a WFAN in New York. It's that kind of version for Western New York where they are the go-to place um, for everything when it comes to the Bills and Sabres. Uh, so getting their attention, even on a little bit of a level uh, for me, was really my goal when I set out. I started a hockey show so I could try to get the attention of WGR. I actually didn't really know hockey all that well when I started the hockey show. I just thought they talk a lot of hockey. At the time, they weren't the home of the Bills. They were just the home of the Sabres. They have the Sabres rights. They have the games. So I need to be talking hockey to try to get them uh, to notice who I am. So there was a little bit of a strategic type of play there. And then I learned hockey more and more, or at least how to talk about it. I mean, I watched it casually, but how to talk about it, how to break it down, how to interview people uh, when it came to hockey, uh, to be able to show them that I could do it and to be able to go up there and say, yeah, I know every player in the league kind of thing, or I know every storyline with the Sabres and how to pronounce every player. If you need me to pronounce, you know, Alexi Zitnik, I can or something. So, um, you know, I just, it, yeah, it's, it is, it is, a, you could describe it as a monster. I would just describe it as a voice of kind of an entire region there with that station. And um, to, to even get my foot cracked in the door was another one of those moments where you're always going along wondering, is this the right thing to do? Is this sort of the, am I wasting my time by selling to sports bars a hundred dollar a month sponsorship to get myself on the air. Like, am I, am I throwing away opportunities to have a regular career, like a normal person instead of doing this and, uh, getting a, an interview at WGR, then getting hired at WGR. That was all of those kind of moments where, all right, it's pedal to the metal. Like this is my career path. Now, once you get in at that kind of station. Those hosts you mentioned for AM Drive and PM Drive, we're talking 15 years plus. You go look at any major market. I've tossed Buffalo in this major market category because they have an NFL team and an NHL team. That is unheard of, let alone it being an AM station. But any sports talk station that's been able to have guys, girls, whoever, for 15 years plus in both the morning drive and afternoon drive is unheard of. Credit to how good those guys have been and what they truly mean about being a voice of a city. Now, through your time here at WGR 550, you're able to work your way up to being the morning show producer. Was it a long process? Was it a quick process? And once you elevated your career to that point, what were some of those responsibilities like working on the show? 
Uh, it was long to get to be able to be the morning show producer. Um, so I started out as an update anchor and a board op. And I do remember one particular night where I was board oping the NBA dunk contest on radio. And I was like, this is a low point for me because <laughs> it's a dunk contest on the radio. So the broadcasters are going, what a slam. And no one can see it. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? I, I, I have to be the only one hearing this at this point. And wh what I mean by running the board, if people don't know, is just that um, national broadcasts sometimes, because it, it's, you know, you have your talk shows, but they're not talking 24 seven. So you're, you know, bringing in from the outside ESPN broadcasts or, or things like that. And so someone has to be in every studio that those national broadcasts are on and just go boop, boop <laughs> and play the local commercials. And that's it. That's the whole thing for four hours of dunks and describing the three-point contest and all those things that night. And uh, there were certainly some times uh, where those were very long shifts and very long nights where you went, am I ever going to get moved up and do something other than this? So you start out with that. That's the grunt work. You're cutting sound and finding commercials and plugging them in the system and doing whatever the program director you know, needs you to do that they didn't get to during the day. So there's a lot of those long shifts doing that, but I eventually worked my way to be able to be a sports update anchor and the occasional fill in host on Saturdays. And I tried to take advantage of those opportunities as much as I could and push to get as many of those chances as possible. And then to get feedback and my program director, Andy Roth, that I started with was unbelievable to me to giving feedback. He was just a very blunt and honest person to say, you know, in, in the second hour, and he would listen to everything. And he would say, you know, in the second hour, you kind of said something to the producer that you shouldn't have said, and you should do it this way, or don't use that word, use this word. And like little things like that, that, you know, you wouldn't guess yourself. You need someone to, to listen and give you feedback and tell you, which I think is very important. So it took a long time, several years before I got to be the morning show producer of doing just that and uh, getting into the spot where I was doing the afternoon updates on a pretty daily basis. And, and then when we changed program directors, uh, there were some people that didn't get along as well with the program director, Alan Davis, uh, that were kind of from the old guard, I guess you would say. And I did. Uh, I thought we kind of connected on how we viewed radio and we got along really well. And so he gave me a ton more of opportunities um, to host pre and post game show for the bills. And when the spot came open for the morning show, I was kind of just the next guy in line ready for that to happen. Cause I had paid my dues through all those other things. And the other part of it too, was that while I was doing those long night shifts and things like that, I had started covering the American hockey league in Rochester. So the kind of triple a equivalent, um, I'm sure most people sort of understand what that is, but they were the prospects of the Buffalo Sabres. So the Sabres had a couple of big prospects at the time that I would go to the games and I would write about. And then it became interesting of when guys were called up, they would bring me on the air to talk about these guys that they had called up. So it was more opportunity for them to see what I could do in a capacity that was beyond just running the board. And that's sort of the theme of the whole thing is me looking for little ways that I can make anybody pay attention to what I'm doing. And what it turned out that that was an incredible experience because it helped me become a reporter later on of being in the locker room and interviewing pro athletes and sort of knowing how that entire dynamic and how to write a game report, how, you know, how to 
do a long form story and things like that. Things that I wouldn't have really had a sense for had I not done that part. So I think that that uh, also played a role in it, grabbing some people's attention. And so to the point where when someone left the morning show, you know, the hosts knew who I was, had had me on the, uh, the air a bunch of times and wanted me into that position because they were comfortable with me. And then uh, Howard Simon, uh, you know, the first day I was the producer said, you know, the, that mic is open for you whenever you want it. I mean, if you have something to say and you think you can add to this conversation, don't be afraid of that. And I mean, that's another sort of huge thing of someone being encouraging as opposed to, hey, you talk when I tell you to talk, which Howard uh, would, you know, he has zero ego and is the nicest person in the entire world. So he would never say something like that. But you know this as well as I do. There's a lot of hosts that would. Um, <laughs> I, I think that and then just getting a chance every day to see Jeremy White work. If people don't know his his work in Buffalo, I mean, he's one of the most creative people when it comes to uh, bringing conversations that uh, I think capture people and capture listeners and make them think like deeper about their sport and using analogous situations and things like that. He's so creative and so funny and kind of has a childish like nature to how he does it that connects with a lot of people's childish like natures with sports. And so he and I had a very, uh, very quick chemistry together because we both like to do stupid, silly stuff that would bring people in. And I, I think that was a, a major part of me catching on there as the morning show producer. Just to fill in a few holes here from the radio side of it, Andy Roth, you've mentioned there is considered to be one of, if not the best radio sports program directors in the country. He's now moved on to Cleveland, but annually you want to find awards about best radio sports program director in the country. Andy Roth is in that discussion year in and year out who followed Andy is Alan Davis. And if you don't know Alan Davis's background, we're talking about the guy who's one of the reasons why Colin Cowherd is in sports talk radio. One of the reasons why Nick Wright actually got a job, his first job, he was hired by Alan Davis from Damon Amendola to Sean Sharif, and we can go up and down the list. But when you're talking about Andy Roth and Alan Davis, guys, you've been rubbing shoulders with throughout your career. Those are truly the titans of sports program directing of what that medium is in talk radio. And you've got the opportunity to work with them at WGR 550 throughout your career. I want to sit on Jeremy for a second here because he gave me that tease about your connection with Jeremy and what you two were able to build. It seems in comparison to other traditional radio hosts, you and Jeremy understood the power of social media and in particular Twitter about this is where the conversation could be. This is where the different thoughts and the fun could be and the entertainment could be engaging with fans on social media. And to push that even further, analytics, nobody in traditional sports talk radio was talking about numbers and how this worked and how tanking could benefit a team and everything else. There's a lot to that, and I'm sure if we had Jeremy on with us, we could do two, three, five hours on tanking and analytics and the power of social media and everything else. So I'll ask a broader question. When you're using that engagement as a tool, the positives, the negatives, did you feel like it was working and that this could be the future? This could add so much more to that morning show for years to come? Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, you could sort of start with uh, the tanking thing is where I, I think it really took off in Buffalo when they started to tear their whole team apart. And then Twitter was fighting with itself uh, constantly, just Buffalo sports fans of should the team be tanking? Should they not? Should they be signing players and try to get competitive right away and all those things? 
And I think where Jeremy and I really um, saw eye to eye was when the fan base is really interested in something, you have to throw yourself right in the middle of it because if you, and with a strong opinion and with that, that opinion also uh, being made in a fun way and making your points in a fun and, and entertaining and a lot of times ridiculous way. So I'll give you an example. And we would use social media to enhance all of these things, you know, by tweeting out the clips of the things that we were doing or, or, or the segments and stuff like that. Uh, or, you know, little, even at the time, taking a video on Jeremy's camera or something. Now, things that we do all the time now, I, I don't want to say we were revolutionary, but there wasn't a lot of people in sports radio really paying attention to these things uh, and the power of making a short little video that people watch uh, and then interact with. But it was really the Sabres and the Arizona Coyotes that were in competition with each other for the top overall draft pick or the worst record in the league that would guarantee you. Um, and it ended up being like Edmonton that, that won the number one pick, but it would guarantee you a top two pick if you had the worst record in the league at the time by the rules. And, and so what we would do is we created a bit called Raising Arizona where we would read inspirational quotes to the Arizona Coyotes before every game they play. And, and it says, you know, so they would get wins and the Sabres would lose and, and things like that. And so we had, we had a bunch of those things where we just tried to be as creative as we possibly could. And, you know, if you just argue all the time, you just fight, then it gets to be miserable and kind of dour and not fun to listen to. If you tune in every day and we're on at six in the morning, I mean, you tune in every day at six in the morning and someone's yelling at you, the Sabres need to tank, the Sabres need to tank. Like eventually you're going to tune that out. And we knew that, but we also knew that it was by far the most exciting topic that anyone was talking about in the city. So how can we take this? That is a big angry fight with everybody and make it funny and make it fun. And even the people who didn't agree with us on tanking, they were laughing at what we were doing anyway. And just thinking, these guys are ridiculous. Are they even adults? Why are they doing this stupid stuff? You know? And so, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, we did so many like funny, ridiculous bits. Um, I sang the, one of the, a Drake song and, uh, or the one where he was talking about being on his cell phone. And so I was talking about being on the trade phone to trade away any good players that the Sabres had, you know, stuff like that. And I mean, 95% of that is coming from the mind of Jeremy White. And he's saying it to me and I'm saying, let's do it. Let's figure out a way uh, to, to make this funny. And then I used my production ability, which I just learned through years of running the board and everything else. Um, but it was mostly just sort of executing his vision on things. And then when I ended up leaving Buffalo and being a host for myself, I just used all of his stuff. I mean, I just took from his style entirely and tried to apply it to my own. And I still do that today by creating silly bits and trying to have fun with uh, things. There's a podcast episode that I uh, did recently where we're looking into a crystal ball and I'm sort of making stupid noises and stuff like that. That I, I think that sports fans, they do want to be very passionate and sometimes angry about their teams, but they don't want to be that all the time. And uh, I think when you can combine having fun with it and making people laugh with you know, addressing really hot topics, um, you've got something. And Jeremy is just, he's just a genius with that. 
hearing these stories about the fun you're having in Western New York and the connection you have with Howard and Jeremy and everybody in the morning show, and it's not too far away from where you grew up, not too far away from your home, you would think you'd roll with this job forever. Let's talk about it. Why do you make the transition out to Minnesota to work for ESPN 1500 and score North? Before Matthew answers that question, though, we got to give love to the people that make this podcast possible through Godzilla Media, and that's our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Whether you're listening in Buffalo or Rochester or Syracuse, wherever the Bills Mafia or the Sabre fans might be, maybe even some Minnesota Viking fans here in upstate New York, the place to get your new vehicle is Mohawk Honda in Glenville, New York. You want people you can trust during the car buying experience. You want to find inventory. You want to take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book offer where you can pull up to a parking lot and walk out with money in your pocket within 10 minutes. That's right, 10 minutes you can trade in your vehicle and walk away with cash. And you can find the ride that fits your budget, your lifestyle, and more. I'm looking at my driveway right now. How about a 2022 Pilot EXL? Now, I didn't know if I could afford that. I didn't know if it fit my budget. But the great people like Brian McKenna, Cam McKenna, Greg Johnson, Lindsey Harrington, the people that you want to work with going through a carbine experience are right there on your side in Glenville, New York. Wherever you live in upstate New York, maybe even outside of the state, it's worth the drive. We're talking about one of the biggest purchases you can make in your life. For years to come, you're going to have that vehicle helping you get to work, helping for those big vacations here in the spring and summer and more. You don't want to worry about the things going wrong. Get a vehicle that you can trust, and I know it can happen for you for the right price. I know from experience at Mohawk Honda. Mohawk Honda in Glenville, New York, where they always go out of their way to please you. Draft night's not too far away. We're talking to Matthew Collar, and we're just eight days away if you're listening here on a Wednesday, maybe even a next week. Well, the NFL draft, and right here, Godzilla Media in the Capital Reach, you want to have fun with us. We're going to be broadcasting live from the Iron's Edge. The Iron's Edge, April 28th. LeVac and I will be broadcasting from 6.30 to 8. And throughout the entire draft, how about the Godzilla Media team is going to be with you throughout draft night. So come join us, whether it be via social media on Godzilla Media's YouTube page, the Iron's Edge Facebook page, Tech East Fire and Water Restorations Facebook page, and more. You can follow Draft Night 2022 thanks to the Iron's Edge. Enjoy the picks. Great food great drinks and more thursday april 28th live on location godzilla media's draft night party and one more time if you want to be a part of the albany empire this season tickets are on sale now now this is an audio only version of this episode so if you want information on the albany empire how you can get your season tickets whether it be for the home opener or games throughout this upcoming spring and summer the information's in our episode description and if you head over to our YouTube page, we got a little bonus video for you. You can find the bonus video and the description for the Albany Empire, how you can get your season tickets today. Matthew Collar, for the Western New York fans, fans of yours from WGR 550, take us through why you decided to leave WGR for ESPN 1500 and score north. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I think a major part of it was, as we speak right now, let's see, six years since I left, the same hosts are in the same positions in Buffalo. And there was no real upward mobility there. Um, you know, Howard had been there a long time. The afternoon guys had been there a long time. And there was no, like, they're going to leave and give me that job. So that's part of it. Um, another part of it is my wife's play-by-play career was budding. And being in a small market like that, I think it was kind of hard to envision her getting the opportunities that she deserved. And she has since, you know, used her time in Minnesota to become very successful doing play-by-play. Uh, and that was another thought too, was we probably to get the opportunities that we want, 
have to go somewhere else. And I remember having a conversation when I was in Buffalo with an intern and the intern asked me like, so, you know, how do you kind of get into this? And like, do, do most people have to have to move or is there opportunities here? And I was like, this is a city with only a handful of media outlets, really. I mean, since the athletic has been invented, that's three. <laughs> I mean, and it was only two before. Um, and there weren't people at that time creating their own media companies as I have done here. But, uh, you know, it really looked like I'm just going to have to go somewhere else. The other thing, too, is being a morning show producer is fun. And working with Howard and Jeremy was really fun because those two became like best friends for life in the experiences that we had. And we would hang out outside of work and we would go to, you know, junior hockey games and go to lunch and do things like that. So I didn't want to leave those guys, but I also didn't want to be a producer forever. Uh, I wanted to expand beyond that to be a talk host myself all the time, as opposed to just the opportunities that I could sort of squeeze in, filling in or doing Bill's pre and post game show. So I wanted more than that, but I also wanted to be a reporter. And so when the opportunity came to write more and to do podcasting and be in a locker room, uh, like I have been able to be with the Minnesota Vikings since then, like, that's what I wanted. Like I wanted the same things that I was getting from the American hockey league, but I wanted to do that all the time. And then, you know, contribute to shows and eventually host shows and stuff like that. But the thing that had always attracted me to this business uh, from really the, the moment I started getting some inspiration to do it in college was the writing part. And you know, I wanted a bigger platform to write for and in, in um, you know, as, as opposed to just kind of a contributor to the WGR website and things like that. So when the opportunity came along in Minnesota, um, it wasn't like some huge pay raise or anything like that. I did not suddenly uh, get wildly rich by becoming a Minnesota Vikings digital reporter for at the time it was 1500 ESPN. But I saw it as like closer to what I wanted to do for the rest of my career than being a morning show producer and uh, an opportunity to go to a place that was just more visible and where I could continue to grow because I felt like there wasn't really that opportunity to become much more in Buffalo. Sloan Martin is your answer, by the way. Before you pause the podcast, you pull up a second link. Sloan Martin is Matthew Collar's wife. She does a tremendous job. She's a great broadcaster, killing it out in Minnesota, getting some national gigs and more. So shout out to Sloan, always doing a great job. Awesome to see her career continue to rise and rise. You mentioned the distinction there between ESPN 1500 and Score North. I think it's extremely interesting of what was happening, especially for content creators and media, traditional versus non-traditional. It may be somebody who's looking to follow the similar path. Let's kind of reset that history of the movement of ESPN 1500 as a radio station to what Score North started to become out in Minnesota and your role in it. Yeah. So for the first couple of years I worked for, it was 1500 ESPN and uh, they had had at one time the twins rights and were pretty established in the market. Um, but I think that there was sort of the writing on the wall that all of this was going toward a more digital approach. And there's another radio station in town, KFAN, that has the Vikings rights and is on FM and was dominating the space. And so we got to a point where we needed to kind of either just stop doing this because we weren't getting the radio ratings that could justify paying all of our salaries, or we needed to make an adjustment and go a different direction. And the YouTube podcast, uh, you know, digital sort of direction was where we 
you know, ultimately kind of landed on. And they made a lot of changes personnel wise, but it benefited me because I had spent several years being the Vikings reporter, 2016, 2017. And then I believe it was into 2018 when we made that change. And I was able to have a daily show, um, but also we would put everything on YouTube and podcast everything. And then also continue to be in the Vikings locker room. Cause that was something that I wanted to do and write stories and you know, travel with the team and uh, to road games and stuff like that. And they gave me the opportunity to do that. So the readjusting of that station, renaming, rebranding and everything else doing this, you know, whole new launch of this digital product, which was a, a very smart idea to go that direction um, at first, um, it worked out pretty well, but I don't think anybody anticipated the pandemic because it was much more of a long-term type of play where the idea was, this is where all media is going. And so we want to be ahead of it. And we want to be in front of the old dinosaur radio stations that are losing their listeners every day to podcasts. And, uh, if we can, you know, sort of solidify ourselves as a voice of your podcast, of your, you know, we created this really awesome app. So, you know, kind of our vision was somebody waking up and looking at our articles on the app and then turning on our show and listening to it there. And I thought, you know, it was a very smart direction overall to go, but eventually we got to the pandemic and then it was really in its infancy. And I think it had taken quite the investment that wasn't paying off still. And they decided, um, you know, to shut it down at that point. But during that span of maybe, I don't know, it was probably a year and a half or two years of being Score North, I thought that we were doing things that nobody else in the space, really in the country, as far as radio stations went, because we were still over the air. We were just like really putting all of our laser beam forces onto the digital product. Uh, we hired a social media manager who was very talented and he knew how to engage with people. And we would put our clips out there. These are things that you take for granted at this moment, but it was a little ahead of the game at the time. And I think as we had gone forward, if we had been allowed to go forward, we would have developed this product more and more sharpened it, what platforms we need to be on, how we can make money off those platforms. But uh, because sports shut down and I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the business decisions, but I ended up being on the wrong end of a business decision along with a lot of my other teammates on Score North. Um, so that was uh, you know unfortunate for that to happen. But I do think that the vision overall was the right one. Hearing the idea out loud sounds like it should be successful. You're moving away from traditional media. You're putting your content on demand. You're doing something that nobody really has done before. It's your focus is on Score North and maybe not even so much on ESPN 1500. But it is important to note that ESPN 1500 in Minnesota and Score North are owned by the same company. So when you're owned by the same company, you're likely to have the same sales team. So you don't have a separate sales team for Score North and a separate sales team for ESPN 1500. That may be the goal, but if you have similar salespeople working on that and you've got, let's say, veteran radio salesmen, just because of comfort and price point and understanding the product, they might lean towards doing the traditional sale rather than a score north sale. And timing too, like this is happening during COVID where sports is going away. And maybe if score north was launching in 2022 or during COVID and sports were happening. The timeline is hard to piece together, but the success of score North or lack thereof, was it timing? Was it monetizing? What happened with that overall situation 
involving the project that is score North that by the way, is still going on. Yeah. I think that it was successful in terms of building our audience on the digital side and building up the followings and the YouTube and the Twitter and social media and all that sort of stuff. It just was the fact that, you know, I think sponsors weren't really ready for that. Um, that it, things really changed in the last two years when it comes to sponsors, even acknowledging uh, social media, like we're seeing just an explosion of uh, you know, advertising on not only internet websites and everything else, but I mean, especially on YouTube and on podcasts and the company that I work with now with Blue Wire. I mean, look at them, a meteoric rise for them just being a little ahead of the game in knowing that if they started selling a bunch of podcasts together to sponsors, that the sponsors would eventually get it, that this is where everybody is now. And they have. But at that time, I think it was just a couple of years out and maybe a pandemic away from uh, companies really getting it because that's what drives us in media is what companies are willing to pay for. And at that time, I don't know that we... Uh, were able to convince them right off the bat, or that even if we had been able to, it would have made a difference because in the building, in the Hubbard building, Hubbard is the owners of that station. Uh, they have other stations that are very, very successful and that make a lot of money. And we were the ones that were lagging behind and saying, hey, just give us like five more years and trust me, this will catch up. Well, that would have been fine if the pandemic hadn't shut everything down. And a lot of people, a lot of sponsors and companies sort of panicked after that and pulled their advertising. And I think that maybe the company did too. I can't speak for them. I don't know why they made the decision. I never got an explanation. Um, but I mean, I think that in hindsight, that was probably it that they lost sponsors right away and said, where can we cut from to make up for this? Let's cut from over here because that's not making money instantly. And had they sort of stayed the course, um, it, it would have come around. And, and I'm sure that what's left of it now uh, probably is doing much better than, than it was at the time. So I think that you know maybe being ahead of the game is always something he's talked about as being good, but maybe in this rare instance worked uh, against us a little bit how that came together and what could have been in the future. It's hard to predict and it's more difficult now, even with hindsight of what the future may hold for companies that go full digital. But if this is 2002, you get laid off from score North. You may not get your voice out there for months or years to come, but it is 2020 and 2021, 2022. And you're able to find those types of forums now to find it. When you lose your job, Sure, there's a sense of fear and lack of confidence or worry of what happens next. But Matthew, for you, it seemed so quick that all of a sudden this opportunity was arising, as you alluded to earlier in our conversation. You're able to build your own media company, it seems, overnight. Yeah, uh, by the afternoon of the day that they fired everybody, I already knew what I was going to do. Uh, in part, I got a phone call from a guy named Jeff Anderson from the Minnesota Vikings. He said look, if you decide to start your own thing or figure out another place to cover this team, you are welcome to still be here and we'll keep your credential. And that right there was, all right, well, that's what I'm doing because what else am I going to do? I mean, none of us knew at that time when radio stations were going to get back to hiring. Was it going to be three months? Was it going to be five years before the money came back and everything else? Nobody had any clue how long this pandemic could go, how long sports would be shut down. I mean, all of us, like at that time, sports was 
the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan documentary, that 10 part right. series that we all were getting together and watching uh, or whatever, 10 hour series on Sunday nights uh, and the rest of the time it was, I think I watched maybe some Korean baseball. So it was very unclear what was going to happen. And so, th- and it's not like anybody else was hiring either at the time. And, and my wife had a job in news reporting, which was vital then at the beginning of the pandemic. So she wasn't going to lose her job. It was very important. And she was reporting on the pandemic. I, I didn't want to say, let's move to the first radio station, whatever city, wherever place and give up your career uh, that's going well here. Cause she was doing play-by-play on the side and then doing uh, the news radio. So I didn't want to say like, Oh, let's just pack up and leave because this didn't work out. And a friend of hers had started a Substack. I had never heard of it before, but I knew what Patreon was and I took a look into it and I thought, you know, sending something to everybody's email every day might be attractive to people. And I knew a baseball writer named Joe Sheehan, who I think was at maybe MLB.com or something like that and had left to do something very similar to that, where he sends out a daily email and people pay for it. I figured that my coverage was unique enough coming from sports radio and a different approach than say newspapers would be doing it, that there would be people who are loyal listeners to the show and loyal readers to our website that would be interested in coming along for the ride for a couple bucks a month. Now it's very hard thing to do to start telling people, Hey, can you give me a couple bucks a month? I know there's a pandemic and everyone's losing their job, but can you help me? Uh, So the, the kindness of strangers is something that I will now forever believe in for the rest of my life, because the number of people in the media, of course, that I knew were so helpful, but also people that I had never met before who listened from all over uh, Minnesota and all over the country, people who had left, um, they were getting behind it and they were subscribing. And then when Blue Wire, uh, when I was connected with them by ESPN's Courtney Cronin, she knew the the guy, Kevin Jones, who started Blue Wire. And so we connected on a call and he said like, look, I mean, you, you know, start a new show and see how it works out. And I thought, well, all right. And uh, same deal where a lot of the audience came over and followed along with the show uh, and started to slowly build that up. And then, you know, Blue Wires just had incredible, incredible success. It's funny to think about how maybe when I joined, they might have had one sponsor at the time and they were just like cobbling together a few podcasts to try this out. And I thought, well, I don't have any better option than this. And then they've exploded and they've done incredibly well. That's been great to see. And then my show has built and built and built and built uh, over the years. And that has been an incredibly rewarding and and fun process. So the day that I got fired, I kind of tried to look into the future myself and said, what if I took a lot of the principles of what we were doing at Score North and I just did them on my own and did kind of the same job, but, you know, asked people for the subscriptions and things like that and then started to build it in a very similar way, but just on my own, as opposed to what we were doing. And uh, it's played out to be, you know, I mean, the best thing that possibly could have happened to me. Hearing it presented like that, you fair to ask, is it just Minnesota? Is it just the passion of Viking fans, the passion of fans that want to see that Super Bowl and that team succeed so well, because flipping that quick to, Blue Wire Pods in a non-traditional media format and finding success that fast. Some would say it's, oh, just Minnesota. Other markets, maybe like Albany, 
Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester. You could list off the markets. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe you will in the future. Maybe you won't. But just to clarify, that's just not Minnesota being a unique sports market for that type of passion for your team. Yeah, no, it's it's not just Minnesota. No, I mean, I don't think that we're ever going back. Uh, there are places all over the country. There was a guy in Pittsburgh who was a little ahead of the game on this, who does something like DK on sports or something like that. It was a, a sports reporter in Pittsburgh who had started a subscription site and built it into a business, started hiring people. And I remember reading an article about that and thinking like, wow, like, I wonder if that's what people are going to do is build up their followings on traditional sports um, you know, platforms and then leave those platforms. There's one in Chicago that's just recently launched with a bunch of personalities from there. There's another guy, uh, Rob Doster, who does college, who has built this, I think it's called Field of 68. He's built yeah. this huge platform doing that after he was let go from NBC. It's just been a joy to see so many people be able to go out on their own and say, yeah, I'm going to take my audience and I'm going to do this myself rather than having to live on the whims of a company that could fire you at any time or, or whatever else. And that's not to say that companies around the country don't treat media people well, because, you know, in, in large part they do, but um, a lot of times you, you can lose your job at any time. If any, you know, pandemic hits is extreme, but if there's cuts, that's who they tend to look for is, well, we could take away from this sport or we could take away that sports person uh, as opposed to, you know, whatever other area of the company. Um, so a lot of people have proven that if you do really good work and you've worked your way up to be considered as a professional, that you can create your own platform. And then also sports teams, and you have to give the Minnesota Vikings a ton of credit here. You know, this, they were a, a team that said, all right, what you're doing is non-traditional but we want you in our building because we know that you have a loyal fan base who's going to read your work and that you are going to be professional. And so I, I don't think, I don't think if you're a young person coming out of college, you should look at what I'm doing and say, Oh, I'll just start a YouTube and then I'll be that guy. And like, that's not how it worked. Like I had to build up credibility over many years, starting as an intern and an AHL reporter and work my way up and up and up and up to have, uh, been in a position to be a sports talk host, to build the audience that I built, and then still had to do a lot of hustling in the first year. And I'm still doing a lot of hustling to build that audience and keep that audience and, and things like that. So um, I do think that more companies are going to be available to hire people than ever would have been before. Instead of just working for the radio station or working for the newspaper, you're going to have in every city, and the athletic has kind of done this, And but I think you're going to have other people who are running non-traditional type of media outlets who are making enough money off of the podcast world and off of the you know website world to be able to bring in other writers and things like that, which is what I was able to do here uh, to be able to hire another writer who is working for a website and bring him on board and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't think it's unique to Minnesota, but I do think that Minnesota has very, very serious sports fans who, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone says that they do, but it's really cold here. You have to understand that it's, a, it's really <laughs> cold here. So the people with their football, uh, and in the, if the wolves are ever relevant, which they are as we speak, um, but 
you know, they, they really, really have a, an interest in every part of football. These fans know every player on the team. They know every detail. They're very smart uh, and they want to engage in a product that's really just sort of like snort it up your nose and pump it into your veins football kind of stuff. And that's been so great. And what's been really beneficial on my end is to just have a better connection with the fans. I mean, when you're doing radio, you're kind of talking out into the world and it floats away and that's kind of it. But when you're writing for a particular base, who's paying to be there, you really want to focus on what they want to hear and what they want to know about. And you're always saying to yourself, what can I tell them that they don't already know when they are the smartest fans because they're here or the most aggressive fans about uh, loving and caring about their team. So they know everything that I know about the roster and about the players. So how can I add extra insight to that through interviews that I can do or creative angles or fun writing that can have them enjoy that product. And that's, that's just, um, that's really, that's really been probably the most fun part of the entire experience. You've offered some great advice throughout this conversation, but the podcast is getting there with gossip. We like to close with that final piece of advice. If you're aspiring broadcaster, a media member, whether it's out in Rochester, Buffalo, Brockport, wherever it might be, what's the best advice you could offer a broadcaster to get where you are now in your career? Well, I, I mean, I do think that if you want to be in media, starting a YouTube channel is a good idea. Uh, I think learning how to produce a video is a great talent. Uh, learning how to produce a podcast is a great talent. Learning how to host one is a great talent and great experience to have. Uh, when you go to people who will pay you to do this, that you can say, yeah, I know how to do that, no matter what it is. Um, I don't know how to Photoshop stuff. I'd love to learn someday, but you're ahead of me if you know how to do it. So that's one thing. Uh, writing will never not be important in the history of our universe. I could guarantee it as long as we're on this rock spinning in the stratosphere, uh, being a good writer will be something that benefits you no matter what area uh, you're in. So, you know, nobody in this media world should ever pigeonhole them in themselves into, I'm just a writer. I'm just a broadcaster. Like you really have to try everything and take every opportunity that you can possibly get but also understand that even though the world has changed a lot, it's sort of like nutrition has changed a lot. But what's this thing that we should all be doing is focusing on our food groups and the food pyramid. It's like there are fundamental parts of this that will never change. And that's if you take every opportunity you can get and give every ounce of effort that you can give to it and look for feedback and try to get better and look to connect with people who are doing it well and, and collaborate with other people who want to go where you want to go and not be you know egotistical and think, oh, I'm the best. I have all the answers and things like that. Um, I, I think that those fundamental things are what will get you anywhere. There's no secret of, oh, what you should really do is buy this Logitech camera and this ring light that I have in front of me and talk to yourself for a while and then you'll be a star. Like, <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure there are some people who are. But the way to do to do it really, if you want to have a long career in the business, in any business probably, is to do those fundamental things of having a good attitude about it and going into everything as if it's the most passionate thing that you're all about, right? So if you're covering tennis, like I was saying, at the University of Brockport, um, going into it with not, I'm better than this, I should be writing about the NFL, but hey, you know what? 
people need to know about this tennis player or like you guys missed an incredible match. And as the two players are playing, you know, it's important to them. So you should write it as if it's the most important, it's the most important thing in their day and their family's day and their family's going to read it. And somebody who might hire you could read it. So everything you do needs to be done with the level of passion that you would cover the NFL. Uh, because if you feel like you're too good for this or that or the other thing, like you're probably going to leave a lot on the table. I think there are a lot of people who don't take jobs because they think they're worth more money than that, or they don't cover certain sports uh, because they think, no, I'm, I'm an NFL writer. Cause I started my own NFL YouTube. Like, okay, well that's fine. And I hope that works out for you, but that's not going to, unless you are super, super good at doing an NFL YouTube as if you're the first person who thought of it. Um, it's, it's probably not the way that's going to get you into a long media career, whether that's with a company or by creating your own media. Um, it usually takes a very long process. It takes tens of thousands of hours of hard work to be able to do that. Um, if you want to do it long-term, if you want to do it as a hobby, then do it as a hobby. Um, this podcast is not really for people who want to do it as a hobby though. So if you want to do it for, for real, um, and not just kind of be a fan you know, blogger or something like that, that's doing it more for entertainment purposes or to talk with their friends about the team. That's what it really takes. It really takes building a very strong foundation, uh, getting to know people, impressing whoever you can, when you get opportunities, giving everything you've got to it and doing it with integrity and honesty. And when you make mistakes, owning up to them. And when, you know, you, I don't know, have some sort of conflict of, you know, finding a way to resolve it. And also just not thinking that you're the best sports writer or sports talker ever, because that limits how much you can grow and how much you can learn from other people. I name dropped like five people that have meant a lot to me for growing in this business. I could probably name 20 more um, because I'm always trying to, even now that I've been doing this professionally for 10 years or so, been on NFL beat for six years, even now I'm, I'm trying to learn everything I can from everybody else in the business, you know, that I respect and things like that. So uh, I think that those fundamental things that would work for you, if you're working in a, in an accounting firm and you're an accountant or would work for you in, in a business, if you someday want to be a CEO, they still apply to our business. And I'm not sure that everybody realizes that like they are in college and thinking like, Oh, well I did play by play for my college hockey game. So you owe me this NHL broadcasting job. Like, well, no, they don't because there's 10,000 other little use who also think that they deserve that NHL broadcasting job. So how are you going to beat out 10,000 other little use to get that? Well, it's not by thinking that you're the best. It's by thinking, how can I get better? How can I make a good impression? Uh, and how can I do this in the best way possible? I, I think that all those things are more important than me telling you, yeah, buy this microphone and download audacity. And then you're good to go tiger. Like that's not, I mean, those things are good advice. Actually Logitech, uh, my, you know, um, camera ring light, whatever this microphone is, is pretty good. I hope it sounds you know, good, but um, those things you can figure out by Googling or watching YouTube. Uh, the other stuff, I think, because some people kind of make it look easy on YouTube, there's usually the people who are really good at it. There's a guy named Brett Coleman, who's just fantastic at doing uh, YouTube NFL stuff. That guy puts you know, 20, 30, 40 hours into a video, just a single video that he's doing. 
Like there's all the work that you don't see when you watch the video and think, oh, I could do what that guy does. So um, there's no, there's no cheat code. There's no easy path. There's no uh, like hack that I can give you. You have to be good and you have to work super hard and do it in a, in an honest way. And other than that, uh, you'll make it if you're talented. And if you're not, then find something else you're passionate about, I guess. Very well said. Great advice you're offered up there for aspiring broadcasters. By the way, we're doing this one a little bit different too. So if you want to follow Matthew Collar's work, check it out on our description here on our audio side. And if you're listening on our audio side, usually on the video side, we publish the full interview. We're doing something a little bit different. If you enjoyed some of those quotes, if you want to go back and listen to some take on Minnesota and Buffalo, we're going to offer those links to that as well. So best of, we're going to give the aggregate to Matthew Collar here to roll with the non-traditional media theme. So not the full interview on our visual sign like we usually do. A couple of the best answers coming through here. I'm, I'm very glad we did this because there's times when we do a getting there with God's interview with somebody where I might close it off by saying, I wish we crossed paths more or I wish we would have done. I don't feel that way with you and I, because not only have we crossed paths at a small sample size, but when you kind of compare what's happened with you and I, in our careers, it's remarkable. Both kids, similar ages from upstate New York. You grew up in Rochester. I grew up in Syracuse that wanted to do this as kids. Got into the radio business at first, grinded their teeth a little bit, became radio producers first, then hosts in different markets, then get laid off during COVID-19, then join the non-traditional media world create their own media companies and now make a living doing this. It's wild to think about somebody you kind of bumped into and learned from. And I'll tell you this, dude, you inspired me to do this. When I saw what happened with you out in Minnesota, I said, okay, Matthew Collar just flipped this whole thing around and is absolutely killing it with his coverage for the Vikings. He's making a living, continuing to do this. So thank you for being an inspiration, man, because when I launched this whole thing, there was no doubt I looked across and saw what you were doing. It was awesome. I'm so proud of what you've been able to do. Keep crushing it, man. I'm so excited to continue to follow your career and let's continue to stay in touch for the future. Well, that's really nice of you. And I appreciate ha having me on the show so I can rant about how uh, you should um, buy a ring light or whatever, uh, which is important. <laughs> I mean, otherwise I'd be sitting here in the dark. No, really, I I'm very happy to see that you have continued on uh, and used your talents this way because uh, we have only run into each other a couple times in Buffalo and then uh, once at the Super Bowl here in Minnesota, yeah. which was cool to go on your, your show. So I'm glad that you have taken your talents to carry on and go in this direction as well, because for people that got let down, let's say, by their companies, uh, it used to be the end. And I guess we would have had to, you know, I would have had to go back to working at a grocery store or something because I have no otherworldly talents other than this. And I'm guessing you don't either. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy that you're, you're going in this direction too. And I hope that there's some inspiration for other people who have had things go sideways or uh, whatever else, or who may even consider, maybe I could do this on my own. One point in the future. We'll get you and Jeremy White on. I'll get out of the way. You guys can do three hours of mid-2010 decade Arizona, then Phoenix Coyote hockey talk and the benefits of tanking. Until then, uh, keep up the great work. Thank you for doing this. We'll talk again soon. Yep. Thanks for having me.